God loves every single one of us. He always has and He always will. I want to invite now for those uh, kids, first grade all the way up through fifth grade, if you would like to go to Children's Church, SBC Kids, and you may do so at this time. While they are being dismissed, I want to mention a couple of things that um, just let you uh, know so that you're aware of these things. May 2nd is Thursday, and it is National Day of Prayer, a day in which our country is called to pray, uh, not only for our country, but, um, but in the evangelical world, we also pray for revival to take place in our churches, in our homes, and all throughout our country. I want to invite you to, this afternoon, go to nationaldayofprayer.org nationaldayofprayer.org, and you can see there how you can be involved in National Day of Prayer. And I want to call Salem Baptist Church to prayer that day, specifically based off of some of the initiatives that are found there on that website. So go to nationaldayofprayer.org. This past Wednesday night, uh, we had a member meeting as a church, and in that member meeting, we voted um, to uh, bring Dwayne Carson on as a member of the pastoral staff. His official title is Pastor of Christian School Ministries, and um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited for him to join the pastor team. Hey, can we welcome him together? His role as our head of school will remain as it has been. Uh, Now he just steps on to the pastoral staff of the church, and um, I'm excited about that. Dwayne, welcome. Also, uh, over the last several months, Zach Busby has been uh, our pastoral intern. And y'all, this guy has blessed me more than you, can, uh, more than you could ever know. And uh, he is graduating from Piedmont International University this Friday night. And so I wonder if we could just thank Zach together for his service to our church. Zach, Zach would you stand up? Zach, would you stand up? This is Zach. There you go. Zach has been a blessing to me, and um, I... And praying, God, would you please keep him around Salem? Because uh, he is passionate about, um, about the Lord. His passion in, in loving the Lord is something to behold. He loves our church. He loves the ministry of it. And uh, so y'all pray with me that God will keep him here, okay? Let's pray that together. One more thing before we jump into our passage of Scripture. There is a, a man that uh, I've gotten to know over the past couple of years by the name of Ed Weber. Ed is a graduate of Piedmont International University from many years ago and a missionary in Thailand. And this Wednesday night, I've invited him to come here to Salem to share his story. Now, he's coming. He's a missionary to Thailand, but he's coming more to share his story of abandonment, of abuse in all forms, extreme abuse. Um, He's coming to share his story of how God has redeemed him from those things and how God is now using him in many of the same ways that he experienced abuse in the past. He's able to help those same uh, people who have experienced like trauma. He's coming this Wednesday night to Whetstone. He's going to be here at 630. And I want to invite all of you, please come and hear his story. It is fantastic. And it will leave you impacted um, in incredible ways. So this Wednesday night, 6.30, please be there. I'm excited about him coming to share with us. Take your Bibles and go to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. The last time we were together here in our series was two weeks ago. Last week for Easter, we kind of came out of it for one Sunday. But when we were together two weeks ago, we looked at the reason the nation of Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness outside the land of Canaan. 
God brought them out of the land of Egypt. He took them to the brink of Canaan, and they, out of fear of what could be in that land, decided to retreat in fear rather than risk in faith. And you might remember that I asked you this question. Will you choose to retreat in fear or risk in faith? You as an individual believer, what is it going to be? Are you going to follow through with what God calls you to do, even though it may seem like it's crazy and it may seem like, you know what, Um, I may not survive this? Or are you going to run from it? The Israelites chose to run from what God had called them to do. They retreated in fear. And the result is that an entire generation of Israelites died off before the people could enter the land of Canaan that God had promised them. Now, we get to Joshua chapter 6. Moses has died, um, and uh, he was a man who was faithful in, in what God had given him to do. But now God has raised up another leader. God has raised up Joshua. Now, many years before this, in fact, 40 years before this, Joshua was one of the guys who, on the brink of deciding whether to risk in faith or retreat in fear, he was ready to go for it. He was ready to to follow God into the land of Canaan, but the hearts of the people were turned. We, We talked about that two weeks ago, and they ended up retreating in fear. But now they are on the brink once again of entering the promised land. And we find in the first few chapters of Joshua that they actually do so. They cross over the Jordan River. They get into Jericho or or into Canaan. Now, once they get there, in order to pass through the land and go where God has called them to go, they get to a city that is absolutely massive. It is a huge city. It's a a huge roadblock. It's an obstacle in their way. In fact, they've crossed the Jordan River, and only five miles later, they get to the city of Jericho. Now, we're going to jump right in. We're going to read all of Joshua chapter 6, so we have a good, solid knowledge of, um, of what is being said here and what is being taught, what's taking place, and then we're going to jump into talking about this passage of Scripture, okay? So, Joshua chapter 6, follow along, starting in verse 1. Now, Joshua, or excuse me, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. In other words, they are afraid of the, the people of Israel. No one, no went out, excuse me, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This, you sh- this shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and all the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he calls the ark of the, of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. 
Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city the same man, in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that as we work through this story, we talk about it. Father, may our eyes be solely fixed on you. What would you have us gain from this? Father, how would, we, how would you have us grow from this? How would you have us draw closer from this? Father, as we study your word, would you, would you keep our minds alert? May you keep our hearts soft and open to whatever it is that you've got for us? And Father, we look forward to, at the end of the day, being, to pro- being able to proclaim that there is none like you based off of what we talked about in this room today. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you sent Jesus to die in our place. Thank you for the sacrifice he made for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So that was a mouthful, wasn't it? It was a long story. It's a good story, though. In fact, you've probably heard that story many, many times, starting when you were a very little baby in the nursery. It's one of those stories that people just love to tell because it's, it's, it's so far outside the realm of what is natural that it, it, it's a God story. People like telling God stories, don't they? 
Uh, I, I live in a, um, in a household with four young boys, in fact, five and under. All of them were five and under. So it's only natural for me to have seen the Josh and the Big Wall VeggieTales episode umpteen times. I mean, umpteen times, many, many times. And so, um, so as I read a story like this, sometimes I'm thinking about VeggieTales kind of bouncing around the city <laughs> with, with slushy coming down on them from the people inside the city. Anyway, um, but like I said, there's a good chance that since you were young, you've been hearing this story. And, and probably in Sunday school, you, you um, would have taught, been taught the song, uh, Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. I thought about singing that, then I realized it'd get in your brain and, and it wouldn't leave for like four days, right? Joshua Fought the Battle of Jericho. Okay, now it's there. So you're good. I'm good. I can move, I can move forward. All right. But listen, it doesn't matter how many times you hear this story. I hope that when you do hear it, it fills you with a sense of awe. A-W-E, all. I hope it fills you with a sense of awe at the power of God that is on full display here. Because that's what we see in this story. In fact, when we, when we sit, read stories such as this, we know that the point of those stories is to show us the power and show us the character and show us the nature of God. And what we should gain from this, get this, is a greater understanding of Him and how He works. That's what we should gain from stories like this. Now, in thinking specifically about this story, I've got three main points that I want to share with you this morning, okay? Here's the first one, is that God sometimes seems crazy to us. God sometimes seems crazy to us. Now, I want you to hear my heart in this, okay? I'm not being sacrilegious. I'm not being disrespectful in any way, shape, or form, because when you really think about it, you really think about it, according to human standards, God sometimes seems crazy. I mean, just, just look at verses three through five. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days, one time every single day. Seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of, of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now listen, I was never in the military. I've got family members who were in the military, but I was not. But I don't have to be a general in the military to know that this battle plan is insane. Have you thought about that before? This battle plan is crazy. There is no general in his right mind who would ever draw up a battle plan like this. Walk around the city one time for six days and then walk around the city seven times on the seventh day and then blow some trumpets, yell as loud as you can and the walls are gonna fall down. How does that make sense? It, it, it doesn't make sense to our minds. But that's the beauty of this battle plan, okay? It doesn't make sense according to human standards. That's not a bad thing. That's just the reality. That's the beauty of it for us. God sometimes seems crazy to us. And if you really think about it, I'm pretty sure that you can think of times in your life in which God has called you to do things or led you to do things that seem nothing short of crazy. You know, I think about God leading people to do crazy things. I think about five men who went to the beaches of Ecuador to take the gospel to a people group who had never heard the gospel, who were absolutely violent. Five men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Uterin, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming. 
These guys take the gospel to people who are likely to kill them. And what, what happens? Sure enough, they get there. Not long after they've been there, they're all killed. God, why would you do that? That seems crazy to us, right? Okay, what about this? What about John Allen Cho? Do you know who John Allen Cho is? Last November, he firmly believed that God was calling him to take the gospel to an unreached people group of an island in India. And so he obeys and he goes. He's dropped off on a beach and immediately the people on the boat see him killed on that beach. That's a hostile people group. In fact, they couldn't even retrieve his body. They couldn't go to the island to retrieve his body. Folks, sometimes God's plan seems crazy to us. Go march around a city for six days, one time each day. That seventh day, march around seven times, blow your horns, you shout, the walls are going to fall flat. You, individual believer, go do what I've called you to do. No matter how crazy that is. But those episodes I just mentioned to you with Jericho and with those missionaries, with what God calls us to do sometimes that seems crazy, those things pale in comparison with something else that God has done that seems nothing short of crazy. We're coming off of Easter weekend, which is a time in which we celebrate, we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Folks, the simple fact that God was sent his son to earth to die the way that he did is crazy to us. It doesn't make sense to our human minds and our human standards. That's just not something that you do. No one in their right mind would send their son to be sacrificed the way God sent his son. Yet he did. That's a part of the beauty of our God. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't act like us. He's much greater than we are. God was able to to look on mankind and know without a doubt what we needed and provide it for us. I love um, love what D.A. Carson says in talking about the omniscience of God or the all-knowingness of God in, in knowing what we as humans need. He once, in writing a book, said, if God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, then he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, then he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. I love that. Folks, we tend to think about things as stories such as the Battle of Jericho and and the killing of missionaries and the things that God calls us to do as believers. We tend to think of, of God sending his own son and sometimes think that he is crazy. But when you really think about it, God is not truly crazy. He just has the ability to, to see things that we cannot see. And there's sometimes that he allows circumstances to take place and he, he leads us to action like he did Joshua and the Israelites in ways that don't make sense to us. But over time, we realize he knew what he was doing all along. But here's the kicker, okay? When God leads us to do something crazy, our response is crucial. That's the second point. Our response is crucial. What's Joshua's response to what God's told him to do? Look at verses six and seven. 
So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. Verse seven, and he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. God commands, Joshua obeys, period. God commands, Joshua obeys. He doesn't wait. He doesn't wonder if he heard God correctly. He simply obeys. And folks, that response of immediate obedience is crucial. Because what if Joshua had waited? What if Joshua had waited? Think back 40 years before this, when a people decided to listen to the opinion of 10 men who were not godly. If Joshua had waited and not obeyed, then that that fear would have started to creep in just like it did 40 years ago because the pattern's already there. We know that this would have happened, okay? Fear would have started to creep in and people would have, instead of risking in fear, they would have retreated in faith, excuse me, instead of risking in faith, they would have retreated in fear a second time. Obedience is crucial. A response of obedience is crucial. How do you think that you would have responded if you were in Joshua's shoes? Why don't you ask yourself the question, how would I have responded if I was in Joshua's shoes? Would it have been in obedience, risking in faith, or would it have been with hesitancy, even retreating in fear? What would have been your response? Folks, we know because we can read here in Scripture how Joshua responded, okay? But you can, you, can, you can kind of look into this and you can see why Joshua responded the, responded the way he did. I got two things, two, two ways I want to show you that I believe why Joshua responded the way he did in faith. Number one, Joshua was disciplined and ready for action. Joshua was disciplined and ready for action. Joshua didn't fear because he'd been in battle before. And he knew how he was going to respond when the fighting started. He had disciplined himself for this moment. He'd also disciplined himself to listen for and obey the voice of God. He put himself in a position to learn everything that he could about obeying God and what that looks like by being Moses' servant for so many years. He had made himself available to be disciplined and and ready for action. Folks, when God calls you to take action on his crazy plan, are you going to be disciplined and ready and fit to follow him no matter what that means? The discipline takes place way before the calling does. God looks for people who are disciplined. Joshua had decades to prepare for that moment. How are you disciplining yourself right now so you're ready when God calls your number? Secondly, God knew, or excuse me, Joshua knew that God would be faithful. Joshua knew that God would be faithful. He'd seen the faithfulness of God for many, many years. When the time came for Joshua to do something crazy, like walking around a city for seven days in a row, he's willing to do it because he knew that God was going to be faithful with his end of the bargain. Folks, if you expect your response to be one of obedience when God calls, these two things had better be a part of your life. You have got to be disciplined. You have got to be ready for action. And you've got to know without a doubt that God is going to be faithful to carry you where he promised he would carry you. If he calls you, he's going to be faithful to take you where he said that he was going to take you. 
If you think about those missionaries I mentioned before who had given their lives for God's crazy plan, you would recognize that each one of those had those same two qualities that Joshua had. They were disciplined and ready for action, and they, were, they, they knew that God was going to be faithful no matter what that meant. They trusted God's faithfulness. But then here's the third point that I want to pull from this story of, of Joshua and Jericho. I think Joshua truly knew something deep down in his heart that every single one of us need to remember today. And here it is. We are fighting from victory, not for it. We are fighting from victory, not for it. Look at the promise that's given from God to Joshua in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. It's a promise. Folks, it's a promise that if you look at it in the tense of the Hebrew verb there, it's prophetic perfect. He says, I have given. Even though he's saying, I have given, describing a future action as if it was already accomplished. Since God had declared it with his mouth, it was going to happen. God had declared, I have given. Joshua's fighting from victory, not for it. Look at verse 20. We further see this. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city. Folks, this wasn't even a battle. (laughs) Honestly, it wasn't even a battle. It was a fight that was over with before it even got started. These people were fighting from victory, the victory that God had given them. They were not fighting for victory. Folks, does this idea of, of fighting from victory and not for it sound familiar to you? If you're a believer here today, you're a follower of Jesus, then that is your story. You are fighting from the victory that's already been given to you. You're not fighting for the victory. That's every single one of us who are Christians, who are believers, or followers of Jesus. And my wife, Hillary, is an um, incredible writer. And sometimes I, I read what she writes, and I kind of wonder why in the world she's not writing my sermons and everything else that I do. I was telling her this week about kind of what I'm talking about here in, um, on Sunday morning, and she said, yeah, that's, that's similar to something I wrote some time ago. I said, well, can I read it? And um, so she sent it to me. And uh, I want to spend a few moments reading you this article that she wrote. Here it is. I was watching Josh and the Big Wall. There's that reference again, VeggieTales. I was watching Josh and the Big Wall with my kids this week, and something struck me in such a way as to shift my perspective. In the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, one thing immediately stands out in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. The Lord spoke these words to Joshua before the wall of Jericho had fallen, before they were actually triumphant. The Lord was telling Joshua, I've been before you, I go before you, and I have delivered the city to you. Not only did Joshua know that victorious outcome was on the brink, he knew the playbook for how it was going to happen. The instructions they received were to walk around the city once every day for six days, not saying a word. 
On the seventh day, they were to walk seven times, and after the seventh time, the priests were to give a loud blow on their horns, and the people were to shout. They were to shout victoriously. One has to wonder, did the people of Jericho think the Israelites were crazy? They were probably mocked and threatened. Perhaps the Israelites themselves thought the heat was getting to them by the seventh day. Were they exhausted? Had some of them lost faith? Did they still have hope? As the seventh day drew to a close and Joshua led them around the city, not once as they had done, but seven times, there came a great blast from the horns of the priest. Then the people gave a mighty shout. She quotes here, verse 20. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. She continues, picture this with me. They had already been promised victory by God through Joshua. Yet for six days, they had, they had done something that seemed ridiculous and futile. Add to that the fact that they had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. How many had already lost faith? In this moment, with the blazing sun, the blinding, shimmering, hot sand, you're you're, you're sweaty, dusty, and dirty. Your muscles ache because you've marched all day. You've got a headache. You're dehydrated and hungry. Your legs are so tired you can hardly stand, and you're wondering where your strength is going to come from if you have to face a battle. You've got grit in your mouth and your throat is dry. The sound of crunching gravel and sand is just a buzzing in your ears by now because that's all you've heard all day. But then, all of a sudden, it's silent. No more marching. Just the sound change is enough to stand the hair up on the back of your neck. There's anticipation in the air. You know what comes next. A blast and then a shout. You knew what you were supposed to do, but your heart wavers. Could it really happen? Was Joshua right? The trumpet splits the air and Joshua's voice is clear, strong and unwavering and calling his army to action. Then the shout. For some of them, if they even shouted at first, did they believe that their shout would do anything? Perhaps cynicism and disbelief by that seventh day had overcome their hearts. They might have started with a small, shallow voice or maybe they didn't even shout at all, embarrassed, waiting to see what would happen. But as soon as they heard the crumbling of the walls, something changed. With the breath being momentarily sucked out of their lungs, then rushing back in with such force, replaced with an intensity and urgency they didn't understand, the shout grew louder than we can even imagine. For some of them, did they shout purely out of anger and frustration? Why, God, why have you not given us the promised land that we wanted for 40 years? Why have we been so miserable? For others, maybe they shouted out of confession looking for redemption. I know, I know, Lord, we disobeyed. We chose not to follow you. If only, if only. Perhaps there were those who never lost faith. They shouted with all their might, running, screaming, pleading with those around them to lift their voice and watch it what God, their deliverer, would do. Whether it was a cry of forgiveness or for forgiveness and redemption, a cry of anger and an expression of misunderstood frustration, or perhaps they, they shouted just simply because their leader said to. Regardless, chances are none of them ended that day the same as they were when they started it. At the end of that day, they knew full, full well that the Lord had triumphantly gone before them. 
And that Joshua was continually reminding them of God's word. See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. She continues, you may not be facing a city wall and an army waiting to attack, but there are walls around our hearts and the hearts of our children and enemies are hiding all around to attack and lead astray. Keep believing the word of the Lord. From 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's the end of what she has written there. Ladies and gentlemen, we are fighting the battle of this life from the victory that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ, not for it. You look at that verse, it's there on the screen. Therefore, excuse me, uh, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how he's done that? Do you know how he did that? He did that by sending his son Jesus to earth to die a death that he didn't deserve to die in our place. And all that he says in return is that we surrender our lives to him, we repent of our sins, so we turn away from our sin, and we follow him. And when we do that, we have victory already. Read the end of the book, read the end of the Bible, right? The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation. You will see the victory that we have through Jesus. Folks, we fight from victory, not for it. The battle's already been won for us. If you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, your victory is secure. God wins, period. God wins. Now, in the middle of this battle called life, because that's exactly what we're in, we're in a battle called life. We're given instructions right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that are modeled for us already in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6. You see, what took place in Joshua chapter 6 was Joshua and the people were simply faithful to what God had called them to do, and God took care of the victory. Same thing that we see right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So what do we do? Knowing that the victory is already been won for us, what do we do? We remain faithful to what God has called us to do. Now, I don't know what you brought into this room with you today. I don't know what kind of burden you've got. I don't know if you're exhausted from trying to, to live a life of holiness. I don't know if you're just, you're tired because you've been serving so much, you've been serving God so much that at this point you're wondering, is all of this even worth it? You're sick and tired of fighting this battle or that battle. But can I tell you and remind you this morning that if you are in Christ, you have surrendered to him, you're, his, you're God's child, then you are fighting from victory that's already there. You're not fighting for the victory. So stop trying so hard and just simply be faithful. Just be faithful to what God's called you to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Folks, we can trust God even when he seems crazy. According to human standards, what he might be calling you to do is crazy. You can trust God. Our response of obedience is crucial. 
Faithfulness is crucial. But folks, never, ever, 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 ever forget that we are fighting from victory, not for it. Would you pray with me? Our God, we come to you in this moment and we proclaim the truth that there is no God like you. There is no God like you. Father, the the fact that you would send your son to earth to die for us. Father, that seems crazy to us. But in that, Father, you show the love that you've got for us. Thank you for that. Our Father, we know that sometimes life gets difficult and we don't always understand why you're leading us to go in a certain direction or why you are, 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 are calling us to something. We don't always understand why you act in one way or another, why, Lord, difficulties just come up. But Father, may we never ever take our eyes off of the fact that we are fighting this life, this, this battle called life from victory that comes from Jesus Christ, not for it. Father, would you help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Father, we know without a doubt that you are sovereign and there's gonna come a day in which everything that we didn't fully understand before will be made completely clear and we will see all things as you, would have the, have you, as you would have us see them. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray.